this is episode 101 with the CEO of Bloomin' Blinds, Kelsey Stewart. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. What's up, everyone? And thank you for dropping into another episode of the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, my guest is Kelsey Stewart. Kelsey is the CEO of Bloomin' Blinds, a franchise organization in the window coverings industry, as the name would indicate. Uh, so we talk a little bit about the franchise model that they offer here at Bloomin' Blinds, but also talk a lot about the backstory of how Bloomin' Blinds got to where it is, how it's a family business uh, started by Kelsey's mother. Now he and his two brothers run the show. Um, and just a really, really cool story and a really good example of how a small family-run business you know, has evolved over the years to you know, now what I would consider a world-class franchise organization and a national brand. Also just talk a lot about mindset and, you know, important things for anyone considering business ownership to really, you know, spend some time self-reflecting on and make sure that they do have the right mindset going into business ownership. And, you know, this is something that just kind of organically came up in the conversation with Kelsey and I, but I'm glad it did. And I'm glad we spent some time on it because, you know, we talk about, why it is so many people pursue business ownership, more freedom, more control. But if they don't have the right mindset and if they don't set their business up appropriately from the beginning, unfortunately, it can be very difficult for some business owners to ever really achieve that freedom and control uh, that we're all looking for. So some really just solid advice from Kelsey in terms of the right type of mindset. And he gives some really good examples of how, you know, they coach their franchise owners at Bloom and Blinds to, to keep and maintain the, the right type of mindset and, and how to really set their business up from day one for it to scale and to ultimately, you know, allow them to have the lifestyle and, and to create the freedom and control that they're looking for through business ownership. So tons Tons of good information, good advice, good insight from Kelsey in this episode. So make sure to tune in. With that, let's go ahead and drop in with Kelsey Stewart of Bloomin' Blinds. What's up, Pat the Freedom listeners? Very excited to be here for another episode. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Stewart. Kelsey is the CEO of Bloomin' Blinds. Kelsey, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, Wes. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, likewise. Been looking forward to this. And um, we we uh, had a chance to connect, I don't know, three, four weeks ago and and kind of prep for this. And, you know, I'd met you once or twice at conferences, but really enjoyed, you know, the chance to sit down and have kind of an extended one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. That got me even more excited about having you join me on the podcast. So um, a lot of good things to talk about today, but in particularly, we're going to talk about Bloomin' Blinds, which um, is a franchise company. As the name indicates, you guys are in the blind space, but there's also some things that really differentiate Bloomin' Blinds from, you know, some of the other companies in the blind space, you know, brands that that people may recognize the name of. So excited to learn a little bit more about that. But, you know, before we dive in too deep, why don't you just kind of, you know, give us a little bit of background on yourself, maybe give us high level overview of Bloomin' Blinds. And then there's a pretty cool, you know, backstory to how this company got to where it is today and, and how you find yourself as the CEO. So would love to hear some of that as well. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of all wrapped into one big story. Yeah. Um, so my family got into the window covering industry. My mom started in the industry kind of as a entrepreneur who had an, saw an idea, but really didn't think like, as we, most entrepreneurs do, we just kind of jump in and figure it out on the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in high school and, and early days of my college with mom having a blind company all by herself. Uh, our garage was filled with blinds and <laughs> that was like, that's just how I grew up. You didn't park the car in the garage cause it was full of blinds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, so that was in Seattle. She ran her own shop okay. for about seven years in Seattle. Uh, one woman show, uh, after a divorce, she wanted out of town. And so she decided she was going to move to Dallas. She had a girlfriend down here and she figured why not? Um, with, and then she started Bloomin' Blinds. Um, so uh, interestingly, our corporate birth date is the day of 9-11. Oh, wow. So yeah, so we're, we're about to turn 21 in a couple days here. Very cool. Um, so filed the corporate paperwork on 9-11 and then launched Bloomin' Blinds for public service, um, which is really interesting because we had to start the business in that economic environment Yeah. or, yeah. or the lack of environment as it was. Sure. Um, so she started off again, intending to be a one woman mission. Um, and then very quickly, my brothers and I jumped on board and, and within three years, all three of us were working with mom really is just a family business. It so was cool. just a way. So we didn't have to work for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and we helped mom out in the process and window coverings turns out to be fairly interesting more so than most would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we started to grow the business and really ran Bloom and Blinds in the Dallas market as a family business for about 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, towards the tail end of that, um, we realized that we had something special and we knew we wanted to expand and get beyond that mom and pop kind of feel. And, and really, we had two big directions to go in. We were either going to split up the family and send brothers to different major cities and start Bloom and Blinds in Houston or started in you know, Austin or Kansas City. Or we were going to franchise it. And the idea of breaking up the family after we've been working together for so long really wasn't all that appealing. Yeah. And so franchising was really the path. But at that point, we had literally no idea what we were doing. We had no idea what that decision involved. Right. We thought we, thought we were just going to like hang out with people, teach them how to sell window coverings and fix them and, and clean them. And, you know, off they go. And that's the end of my problems. Or not challenges so much. or opportunities, not so much, right? <laughs> and yeah, you know, I like to equate franchising and whatever business you did before you franchised 
it, it's like comparing apples and orangutans. <laughs> they're they're not, yeah. it's not apples and oranges, right? It, they're two different species. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so as we began to get into the franchising side, um, the business was getting a lot bigger, a lot more complicated, and it was a bit more than what my mom really wanted to be in charge of. Like mm-hmm. she loved the little mom and pop thing with her kids under her wing. And as it got complicated, the boys and I were getting older and more mature. And so we began to kind of step up in the organization while she started to step away. So I'm really the CEO because I'm the oldest one. I'm the one that really drove the franchising thing. I'm the visionary of the group. Mm -hmm. But the truth is my brothers and I run this thing as a three-headed dragon. Yeah, Uh, We all have our own different skill sets. But like, as I stand here right now, like my, the corners of my desk are touching their desks. I love that. So we, so cool. we literally run this thing in a triangle. We call it kind of a spherical approach Okay. because we all have different personalities. We all have different viewpoints on the world or, or specific topics. Uh-huh. And when we get together, we can see things from different angles that left to our own devices, we wouldn't actually see. So we've built this entire company from day one to the franchises it is now with this three-headed approach to things. And to keep harmony, we've made a rule that when two agree, it's finished. So no matter, that, that's how we keep all the sibling rivalry and the, the bickering that is often plaguing family companies. We have, we have made this rule and then we have honored it with the greatest and the least amount of decisions. If two agree, whether you're on the inside or the outside, it is done and there's no, there's no argument. It's just done. Move on. I imagine that's that's very important, you know, for you guys to have figured that out, agreed to it and stuck to it. Otherwise, there could be, you know, infighting or whatever you want to call it or or also just lack of movement because, you know, there there's not alignment. Um, so, yeah, did it did you guys have to figure that out the hard way or or was was it just kind of intuitive to you? Um, well, I think it was a combination of the two. I think yeah. we recognized that um, to, to move anything forward decision, there was, uh, because we work on these things and decisions together, there was always an odd man out. There's just enough of a unique personality where somebody was always out, but it was never the same two. So it's not like mm-hmm. anyone was consistently on the outside or feeling like they were getting left out. Um, and so we just, through repetition, we began to see how this was playing out. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when you're in a family business, like, you know, you're coming back tomorrow. Like yeah. it, one of the things, you know, often in a family business, the worry is that, that the dynamics, it, it's going to get nuclear and blow up the whole family. But the truth is for us, it actually kept things from getting too nuclear. Mm-hmm. We couldn't blow up the shop because then it was going to impact the other family members who ultimately I care about the most. Um, I couldn't affect the business because it was affecting my family. So it actually tampered down some of the reactions that often plague family businesses. And, and so it, it kept us in line, kept us from overreacting more than creating a volatile situation. That's interesting. That's interesting. But I, I think there's so much to be said for, you know, the fact that you and your two brothers have been in this business. I mean, literally like your entire working 19 lives. years now. Yeah. Been, I'm 46. Been, yeah, been working together, but you've also figured out how to make that work in a productive manner. As you said, you each kind of have your own skill sets, but you you run it, you know, with the three of you 
you know, kind of looking at all aspects of the business, it sounds like, I mean, if I'm a prospective franchise owner, that's pretty appealing, you know, that, that it's a family business. You guys have been together, been a team for so long. I, I think there's a lot to like about that. We, we've certainly got a lot of feedback. So we, we continue to emphasize the family feel like we, that's a word that we purposefully use not only because it's what we live, but it's the culture that we're trying to create. And when you have three brothers that are living in the middle of it, it really, like a lot of companies can just say we're a family, you know, Johnston and Johnson, a family company, right? Like they're not a family company, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a family company. I'm three boys who work side by side, who are in here day in and day out. And then we treat everyone and then bring them into the family. So we get a ton of feedback on, how tangible that aspect of our business and the culture of it is. Yeah, I, I could see that really resonating with a lot of people because, I mean, you know as well as I know, in the franchising world, you've got all different types of franchises, right? You've got investors that, you know, strategically selected an industry and, you know, are building a franchise brand in it. You've got, you know, these big kind of parent companies or umbrella organizations that are acquiring and, and rolling up brands and franchising them. And like those have their place. And there's certainly people that, you know, that approach is going to resonate with. But I know I've personally worked with a lot of people over the years that, you know, a family run business like Bloom and Blinds, that's going to feel like a much better fit to them than, you know, a franchise that's part of a larger kind of conglomerate and, and has more of the kind of corporate feel to it. Yeah. And I think because we're in home service, you know, these, you can scale up a home service business to good financial numbers, but the truth is you're not generally going to have an extraordinarily large team, right? It's going, yeah. it's going to be the owner and some employees and support staff, but it's still, I mean, if you have a 10 person home service team, you have got a pretty good size organization. It is. Yeah. And, and so within the home service, you're always going to have, like you have a real alignment with that family feel because you are going to have a, a, a small select number of people that are spending a large amount of time together. So yeah. there's a lot of alignment in, in that. If I was running a business that scaled up, you know, to 50 to a hundred employees, it doesn't it doesn't correlate quite as well. Yeah, it's hard to maintain that that kind of family feel. But that's that's a good point. I mean, because we own a couple of home service businesses and it's it's tight knit one, one of them more so than the other, because the other one does require a higher number of employees. We have some part time people that are here sometimes not here other times. Uh, but but in the one business, I mean, we've had people with us since day one. Right. Uh, yeah. They know our kids' birthdays. You know, we've sent them on vacation. Like it's it's definitely got that family feel, and and I think there's a lot to to like about that. So I'm I'm curious, is your mom involved at all now, or she's kind of stepped aside and and let you guys take the reins? Uh, we're definitely take the reins. Uh, it got it, it was it, there wasn't really a definitive moment where she said, "All right, I'm out," and it was all right, we're stepping in. Really, <laughs> the truth is, so before the franchise mom used to write the whole thing, like the whole schedule. She was the only one on the phones and she would write the schedule on a paper calendar in pen note to sell for anyone listening. Don't build a calendar on paper. In pen. <laughs> a bad idea. That is, so, yeah. <laughs> right. Good so point. as we begin to grow up and we got busier, uh, we implemented a, a simple CRM system 
and it really the moment we started to digitize the business and and pull that in, she immediately no longer wanted the phone. She wanted didn't want to be in charge of the schedule. And so there was this slow progression that happened over the course of time. Yeah. Um, certainly once the franchise started getting stood up and we started approaching 25, 30 owners, you know, at that point, she's like, I have no idea what you guys do anymore. So <laughs> Genuinely. And so she just said, look, you know, it looks like you got it. And we didn't, we didn't really take it away from her. We didn't ask her for it. She didn't really give it. It was just this, at that moment, everyone was fighting to find a place to be helpful and doing whatever needed to be done. And the spots just kind of organically grew into where they were supposed to go. Yeah. Um, Which which is really neat. Yeah. So she, she, she's retired now. Um, She's gallivanting around the country or ends up in a foreign country on occasion. And honestly, you know, it's just an occasional photo that I get that I'm like, oh, she's in Ireland. Okay, good to know. But she's off, she's off living her life and enjoying it. And uh, I think she's really proud of what Bloom and Blinds is turning into and has become. Um, but at this point, she's, she's hands off. She, she set it in motion and we are, we're building it and running it. That's a great story, though. I think that's what what so many people think about when they think about starting a business, you know, not necessarily aspirations to, to franchise the business, but like I have so many conversations with people, you know, that are exploring business ownership. And that's something that they say is I love the idea of at least creating the opportunity to hand a business down to my kids. If that's something that they want to get involved in. I think the idea of that, kind of legacy of, Hey, I, I built it, I started it. And now, you know, I'm handing it over to my kids and they can take it and, and grow it from there. That's a really appealing concept for a lot of people. And so it's just so cool to, you know, see that play out in, in real life with you guys and, and, you know, good for your mom that she's able to, you know, reap some of the benefits of all the hard work, you know, that she put in over the years um, and know that, you know, the business is in good hands, and, and I think that's a common, you know, story too with founders of businesses, especially if they didn't intend to franchise the business initially, like, cause you alluded to this earlier, apples and orangutans, like your role as a franchisor now I'm sure is very, very different to, you know, what it was pre-franchising and, and how you were spending your time. It's an entirely different language, different yeah. industry, different path forward. Uh, again, we had no idea. There was, there was no, as much research and as much learning as I tried to accomplish before making those choices, you just, that information just isn't widely broadcast. Um, so yes, I, it's very comforting for me as a, as a guy who grew up in the window covering industry to run a window covering franchise. I still get to play with the widget that I love so much that I, that I know so intimately well. So there's a lot of comfort and a lot of feel goods about that, but that's just the toy I play with after I get done doing my job. And my job right. is building a franchise organization. Um, so the, the learning curve was steep. We've been in it. We're about seven years into it now. Okay. And it's, it's safe to say it took us a good three years to really have enough repetition, have enough exposure to the conversations and the language to really begin to understand what it means to be a franchise or just to even get a grasp of it. Then the last three years, we've really tried to get good at it. And in the last 12 to 18 months, we are just hitting our stride. Yeah. And now, now I can absorb anything along the path and it doesn't really change my path. Uh, there's always stuff that comes at you and there's always pieces you're learning. In the earlier days, whatever I learned would like absolutely just redirect my path. 
but now we've got, we've got that rhythm. We have an understanding of what it means and our responsibilities and how to drive the business. And, and so now we can absorb these new pieces in without really it changing our flow and where we're, where we're going. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great, you know, evolution. So you guys about 2015 roughly was when you started franchising. Yeah. Paperwork was in 2014. Yep. The first one was on the ground in March of 2015. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things I look at as as a consultant is, you know, the trajectory that brands have taken. And and I think there absolutely is such a thing as, you know, a, an emerging brand growing too fast because there is a learning curve. Right. Even if yeah. you like you said, did all the research and, you know, have partnered with with people that have helped build other brands and, you know, have systems and processes that that you may not have already. Um, there still can be such a thing as, as growing too fast. So, you know, I like the trajectory that Bloom and Blinds has had where, you know, it did take a couple years to kind of get into any sort of a rhythm and figure some things out. And then you just kind of keep dialing it in. And now you're really at a spot. I mean, we were talking before we started recording about just the momentum that you guys have had over the course of, you know, 2022. And it's, it's pretty exciting um, so you really seem to kind of be at this spot now where you're ready to pour gas on the fire and uh, step on the pedal and and really grow this thing. And, you know, one of the other things that that you mentioned to me post or, or pre-recording is you've really kind of figured out who you're looking for as a franchise owner and how to get in front of those people or how to get them in front of you, which I think is key for any franchisor. Right. So talk yeah. to me a little bit more about that you know the the person that's sitting there thinking okay blinds window coverings like i get it you know people need them but i don't know the first thing about window coverings. so how in the world could i own a blinds company you know what what type of franchise owners are you looking for yeah uh a very important question uh, and that the whole i don't know anything about window coverings or i don't know anything about blinds that is a universal statement the, the only franchise owners that we have in our system that had any experience prior were my employees in the family business before we franchised. Wow. Now I've got three of them that are franchise owners, but which of is the awesome. 60. Yeah. Yeah. So happy to add that to their yeah. life. Yeah. Um, but of the 62, only three of them had experience. The other 59 never did. So it, you know, and it's kind of like when you hire employees, we look at this from a, from a franchising or franchise or standpoint, when we're looking to hire a candidate or hire a person, we're not hiring for the skill set usually. That may be an important topic, but we're we're hiring for the character. We're hiring for the integrity. We're hiring for the work ethic. So I'll answer your question, but underlying all of that is who are they as a person? Yeah. Because I can I can teach the widget. Mm-hmm. I can't teach the work ethic. I can't teach the integrity. I can't teach the true desire for wowing a customer and creating a fan. Those are things that are just part of somebody's fabric or they're not. Yep. That's, that's a very, that's a very important point though. I want to, I want to kind of underscore that because I mean, I had this conversation earlier to to, today with a guy I'm working with, he's an airline pilot, you know, and, and we're talking about just different types of franchises. Like Wes, I don't know anything about any of these businesses. Like I know how to fly planes. That's what I've always done. But then his wife chimed in and she's like, well, he's a great leader and and he's, you know, really loves coaching and training and mentoring. And I said, that's all that's all I need to know. Like, that's what so many franchisors are, are looking for in their franchisees. Like, they don't care if you know anything about the widget or not. Like, they're set up to train you 
on that. So, uh, but the the character piece is huge, and and franchisors should know what type of character they're looking for in their franchise owners. Um, you know, franchisors should know what their culture is, and and be very selective when it comes to their franchise owners that that they're going to be a good culture fit as well. In in my opinion, yep, totally agree. From a from a business model, we can span the, the three traditional aspects. So right. we can we can do the owner operator. That's how I grew up. I grew up as an owner operator. You know, if I didn't show up to work that day, then the company didn't make money. You know that, and and really, while there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, um, the limitation there is your bandwidth and your time. You're trading your time for your dollars. Yep. I look at that as a really nice job, not necessarily a business. Mm-hmm. And we try and coach franchise owners. If you want to get it to a business level, you have to begin to duplicate yourself. You have to get to a point where you can go on vacation and come home with more than you left with. Yes. And if you well, can do that now, now we're entering into the business environment. Mm-hmm. Well, said. so I, I love my owner operators. Again, that's my core and that's where I grew up from. And even as a franchisor, I have a hard time slipping into some of those owner operator mindsets. Cause I'm a, I'm a doer. I like yeah. to do versus like delegate. Um, so love that have a whole, whole host of those. Um, we're now getting a lot more into the what we call the general manager or the executive model. Mm-hmm. And that general manager model for us means that the franchise owner is in the business day to day. Like this is their nine to five jam. They don't have another job. Bloom and blinds is their day to day focus. They're hundred percent focus. Whether or not they're in the van doing the work or whether or not they've hired people to do the work, that could be an evolution of their business, or it could just mm-hmm. be a day-to-day decision. Like some guy doesn't show up, so I got to jump in the van to, to get it get it done. Sure. But the fact is that they're there every day to drive the business, to push it forward, to manage it, and they're the general manager of the business. And that's that's probably my favorite approach uh, because I feel like it's the it's the fastest to scale. For sure, you're going to yeah, you're going to have the personal knowledge and expertise that you can embed into your team. And then they can take that out into revenue generation. And you're going to have a higher quality product and a higher quality experience for both your team, yourself and your customers when the owner is in it every day. Yeah. And it's, it's also, you know, if you're looking at the, the financial opportunity, you know, there's no guarantees, right. But it's likely that the business can start generating income for the owner faster if they're kind of operating in that GM role initially versus like having a salary GM from day one, she just have right. that extra layer of overhead that you got to, got to get past before you start recognizing any income. Yep. And, and so those are the conversations that we have very specifically with those semi absentees. I call them an executive, yeah. but w- with somebody who's separated from the business, they're managing the manager, but in that scenario, it's going to take more money to get started. It's going to take a longer runway to get profitable. And you have to have an even more aggressive strategy to launch because you need to stop bleeding money as quickly as possible. That's right. And and so your accelerated marketing, accelerated team building, accelerated everything because you have to get going over a higher overhead. Um, so when we do have those candidates and we do have a decent number of them who want to manage the manager, Mm-hmm. we're trying to we're trying to emphasize the significance of that manager role that yes. is your make or break yes 100% the quality of gm that you put in place and the um 
the support that you provide them and then the mandate that they really lean on us as if they were the owner. Like we, when I have that scenario, we treat the general manager as if they're the franchise owner yeah. because they are the, they're the pivot point for success. And so I'll, I'll work with the owner and I'll help them understand how to manage the manager all day mm -hmm. long. But for us, it's almost two points to focus on the support. And there are two different conversations between the owner and the GM. The GM needs to know how to do the thing. Right. And build the business. And the owner needs to know how to coach them and keep them on track and know what they need to do to support the GM. I love that, that you guys are having these types of conversations with candidates, because I think, you know, so much of this is theoretical as like, I'm talking with candidates and going through my process, you know, before we've identified any specific brands or anything like, you know, you hear these terms, semi absentee and executive model and, Oh, you just hire a manager and you throw them in there. And now you got this business that just, you know, <laughs> hockey stick yeah. growth. And it's not, it's not that simple, especially not in these, these home service types of businesses, right? There's brick and mortar concepts that in my opinion are much better suited for right. kind of the manage the manager, right? Because like you need someone good that you can trust, but they're managing inside of four walls and making sure that what needs to happen in those four walls is happening. But with this type of business, there's so much more to it than that. And so the, the person that you put in that role, if you are taking that executive model route, is going to make you or break you, right? Yep. And and I think, you know, there, there's pros and cons, right? I think it really comes down to the person. A lot of times the attraction for the executive model is, yeah, it may take a little longer to ramp up. It may take a little longer for me to start recognizing income as the owner, but maybe I can keep my current job so I've got salary benefits. So I've kind of got this buffer until the business gets ramped up, but you need to be prepared, you know, for plan B if your GM quits or you fire them or they get hit by a bus or or whatever. And I've seen it where people didn't have a plan B or they weren't willing, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. to initiate plan B where it's like, Oh shit. You mean I have to actually go do something now? <laughs> like my GM's gone. Like I've got to go run a sales appointment. I don't have a clue how to do that. And that's kind of dangerous water to be in. Yeah. The, the buffer of keeping your job is also counterbalanced by that higher risk because it takes more money, takes longer, and and you have to be more aggressive to make it work. We just got done with a confirmation day with four buying groups, two of which were this executive semi-absentee model. Yeah. Um, and both of them, one of the questions that we asked them, one, one of the questions we asked them was, what's your bandwidth to step in if something happens to your GM? Yeah, great question. And, and we, yeah, we have to know that answer because I can't put them in a position where they can't, they're, they're already working 60 hours a week. They got an employer who's intolerant and I can't let bloom and blind sit idle because they don't have the bandwidth to fix it. Yeah. And I can't fix it for them. Well, and they can't afford to let it sit idle either. So they're going to have a decision Absolutely. in all likelihood. If that scenario plays out, they have a decision, which is keep the job or keep the business, right? It's, yeah. it's going to be tough. And unless you can quickly insert someone in, but you know, that's backtracking a lot, you know, to, to replace a GM, get them up to speed without, you know, things backtracking too much. And, you know, it, it can be done. Like my, my wife and I have two franchises, both home service businesses. The first one we started more owner operator. My wife was the business in the beginning. She's got a great team in place. Now she scaled it. She's kind of phased herself out. 
second home service franchise, we started it with a GM from day one, right? So we were kind of yeah. running that risk and and still are. We're a year and a half in and it's going pretty well, but he's got equity, right? Um, and I think that's, that's important. You, yeah. With that type yep. of a setup, you gotta you gotta set them up so that they've got skin in the game and they can actually think or they have to think like an owner, not just think like a manager. Um, and they have to understand how their decisions impact the bottom line, right? And yep. and their compensation needs to be, in my opinion, largely tied to the bottom line. But so it sounds like you guys get that you're having these conversations. And I love that, you know, for your owners that do have a general manager, you do kind of treat them as an owner because that's how that's how we are with our guy. Like he's going to the conference next month. He's on all the emails that that we as owners get from from, uh, you know, HQ, like he's, he's got to think and act like an owner for it to work. hundred percent. The other thing that we do to help protect against, uh, either, either bad decisions or th problems that these executive owners don't even know that are ahead of them is we require they send two people to training minimum. Yes. And great. And one, yeah, one has to be the GM. The other one could be the actual owner or a technician, but at least somebody has gone through with redundancy so that in the event that the GM flakes out, that you've got at least somebody who's heard the recipe from us before. And then we have at least something to keep the business in motion. I'm I'm curious. I like that a lot. That makes total sense. Um, and and just to to zoom out for a second, like this is refreshing for me to hear, you know, coming from you because especially since COVID, you know, because the whole semi-absentee business ownership thing got really popular and attractive and, you know, it's attractive for, for plenty of reasons, but a lot of franchise brands out there started marketing themselves as semi-absentee ownership models. And right. as we've already kind of discussed, like just the type of business you're in is really going to have an impact on what, semi-absentee ownership looks like. So like one of the things I coach my candidates on is like, look, if we are looking semi-absentee, I, I also like the term executive model much better because I think it it's semi-absentee is misleading. Yeah, um, there's no absentee to it. There's no absentee to it, or at least there shouldn't be. And semi-absentee looks different depending on the business, right? So that's the thing I coach yeah. my candidates on. Like, you got to dig into that, right? Because some brands that are out there marketing themselves as semi-absentee, you dig in, you may realize that, oh yeah, you don't need to put 40 hours a weekend, but you need to put 35 <laughs> in, <laughs> right? Like that's that's not semi-absentee the way most, you know, buyers of franchises are thinking about it. They're thinking five, 10, maybe 15 hours max a week. Like that's what they're thinking, but you got all these companies out there saying we're semi-absentee, we're semi-absentee, you know, but we need 30, 35 hours a week. And like, that's not, that's not going to cut it. So I, I, I really appreciate that you guys are leveling with your candidates. You're not just looking to sell a franchise for the sake of selling a franchise. You want to make sure these folks are set up for success and have as realistic uh, understanding of what that needs to look like in order for them to, to be successful. I'm curious on your thought on this because my wife and I had this discussion recently because like with our businesses, one started owner operator, the other executive model. I, I would say you could almost make the argument that if you start a business with more of that executive model mindset and you do have that manager, in some ways you are setting yourself up to scale better, assuming yeah. you've got the right person and and no issues there because 
you you said this earlier and I saw it with my wife in her business like she's done it she's scaled she's built a team she's delegated but that's been really hard for her at times because in the beginning she was so in it and she had her hands on everything and it has been difficult for her to let go of some things <laughs> and I think that's common right with with yeah. most business owners so you you could almost make the argument that by not being so hands on as the owner in the beginning you you just run into less of that. You don't you don't have as much of that to to deal with. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep. Well, and and again, my my perspective is home services. So this is the environment sure. that I that yeah. I grew up in. I know. So I know that an owner operator in our in our system is going to get fairly busy fairly quick. You're mm -hmm. going to begin to be go on appointments. You know, you'll be up to three to six appointments within months a day, and so your ability to kind of pick your head up and work on the business versus in it, it gets really complicated unless you are extraordinarily good at just shifting gears in like in between modes. And you can really kind of executive level thinking is what my wife calls it mm -hmm. is where you can, you can literally be two people in one body almost. Yeah. Um, so whenever I have somebody who wants to grow into the GM model, but they're going to start owner operator, we are in their ear about hiring as fast as they can. Because it it immediately breaks that that mold. Yeah. Even if it's just the two of you, the owners out in the van, and then you've got a technician, you've already broke the mold of a one man band. And I think that is that that's kind of the the separator between getting stuck in that mold and then being able to break out of it and then scale through it is. And I'm so I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, having employees right off the bat is a mentality. So you said mindset. We firmly believe that mindset is like the ceiling of your potential. Yeah. Like it's self-imposed um, and it's something you choose whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah. But, but by hiring that employee as fast as the business can afford it or the, the need dictates it being proactive versus reactive in that process, um, you break that owner operator mold and now you're free of it because and to control right we all have control issues that's why we start a business <laughs> yeah just exactly this whole industry is full of people with massive control issues <laughs> so true myself included yeah and so when you put an employee on the road you've already broken that control issue too because now you have somebody else who's not on your fingertips not under your watchful eye 24 7 and you have to believe and trust that they're going to go represent you and the brand and your business well and whether it's the time available to break out of the owner operator model or it's the trust and control issues, either way, that first employee pops those bubbles. Yeah. And I think that's a really important shift. It is. And it sounds like you guys are really working closely with your newer owners to make sure they're doing that in a timely manner and, and not holding on too long and, and trying to wear all the hats themselves. So I, I think as a franchisor, that's probably one of the biggest things you can do to, to really, make sure your new franchise owners are, are getting off on, on a strong foot. Um, Let me add something to that for you, Wes. Yeah, go so, ahead. So the, we've come to learn that we have an extraordinary responsibility in launching these franchise owners because many of them are first time business owners. So a lot of the home service franchise owners are first time business owners. And they're really looking to us for guidance on the mentality that they should adopt. And we didn't recognize that those in those early years. Uh, we have a lot of franchise owners who kind of we allowed or even encouraged kind of that small mindset that that I'm the owner operator. I'm going to have a nice job kind of mindset. And we've watched them like very few of them ever broke out of it. Yeah. And so 
to what you were just saying, like we are now actively promoting what the mindset should be. We're trying to plant the seeds or I guess the way I, the way I say it is franchise owners have yet to show me that they often move past whatever mindset they were born into mm-hmm. from the franchisor. So if now we're talking about grandeur and scale and the, your mindset and the importance of evolving with the company, these are all things that are actively in our mutual discovery process, the validation calls, the confirmation days, the, the ongoing coaching that goes on. It's all about whatever your goals are. Like it's okay to have big goals. It's okay to have little goals, but to evolve through that process, you have to, you have to start somewhere, but you have to know where you want to go. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, where, you know, when you guys were new at franchising, you know, you just thought, well, we'll teach them like how to, you know, sell blinds and fix blinds and and then off they go. And, and what you've learned is that, no, we need to like help these people actually learn how to run a business, not, not run a job where they're working for themselves but run a business and develop the right mentality and, and the blinds and the window coverings are just the, the widget, right? That's just yep. kind of the end product. Um, but that's, it's so true, right? I mean, like the, the first franchise we bought into shelf genie, you know, it's been around for 15 plus years at this point, home service, a lot of, a lot of similarities in terms of just the structure of the business model to, to something like bloom and blinds. And so a lot of first time business owners, and I can look at some of the earliest franchisees from that business when, you know, that franchisor was very new and going through some of the same learning curve that you've described. And and they they did kind of buy themselves a job. And like it's not necessarily a bad thing. And for some people, that's all they really want. But those legacy owners have had trouble, I guess, in some cases, shifting their mindset from what it was when they initially bought in and making some of the adjustments that the rest of the system and franchisees that have come in later have and, and you know, are really scaling businesses. But these are important topics because I don't want to take away from, you know, really talking about Bloom and Blind specifically, but these are really important topics. And I'm so glad to hear that you guys are talking with your candidates and your franchise owners about these things because, you know, what do you hear when, when you first start talking with someone that's exploring business ownership, right? It's usually a combination of the same things. I want more control of my time. I want more flexibility. You know, income's usually a factor, but a lot of it really comes down to freedom and control. And if if people can't figure out how to build a business, if they've just kind of bought themselves a job, a lot of times they end up with less of that freedom and less of that control than they did even as an employee. And so the whole reason they set out to start a business, they never actually accomplish it unless they've got someone really teaching them and showing them how to set it up right from day one. And and like we've already discussed, mindset's such a, a key part of that. Yeah. When we started off, even before franchising, when we started to scale our family business, I mean, we had a $3 million family business the way we built it or the way I, I tried to build it was um, I, I was enjoying the pride of being so important for all aspects of the business. I was the center of the wheel. Yeah. And, and I purposely put myself there thinking that I was building to freedom, but really all I did was put more pressure on the center of the wheel. And mm-hmm. I'm in hindsight, right? Like if you like who you are, you can't complain about how you got there. So yeah. In hindsight, I'm glad I did that and I'm glad I went through it because now I can see it, I can call it out and I can coach against it. 
with these franchise owners and the temptation to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, we thought at first we were just thought we were going to teach the widget. Then I thought we were just going to teach how to, how to read a PL. but you know, the, the mindset and the, the activities behind running a business, that's, that's really the art of running a business. It's not the PL. The PL is important, but it's, it's a result of what you do. Yeah. Running a business is really your mindset, your, your culture, your mentality, and, and how you go about your daily life. That's, so true. that's running a business. Yeah. So true. So important. Um, I send everyone I work with a copy of the e-myth, you know, if they do go on to, to buy a franchise and I tell them it's, it's required reading for, for any entrepreneur, because, you know, that's exactly what it talks about. But um, no, this, this is fascinating. And, and I love, you know, the, the philosophy that, that you guys have on this one at Bloom and Blinds. But so we've kind of discussed, you know, what you're looking for in, in your franchise owners. We've got some of the backstory at, at this point, which again is, you know, for me, just such a cool story, but um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, window coverings, blinds. I mean, obviously most people generally know what that entails, but walk us through some of the different actual, you know, I guess product lines and service lines that you guys offer, because that is where we start to get into some of the differentiators between Bloom and Blinds and some of the other companies out there. Yep. So the widget, if we if we were to call it consistent with the conversation, yep. is is window coverings, but it's window coverings of all forms. So we our our primary business is sales, install, and repair. So the things that we're installing is generally what we sell. Very on occasion, someone will call us to install someone else's stuff or something they bought at Home Depot, but by and large, the install component is the parts that we help somebody pick out. Right. Um, so we're a full service catalog. So basically any window covering you could think of, whether it be soft goods like draperies, your blinds, your shades, your shutters, the motorization, you know, Alexa raise my blinds, you know, all that stuff. And then we even go outside the house with the large exterior roller shades. Oh, really? So okay. the, yeah, like the ones that you might like encompass your entire patio with sure. because you have too many bugs, too many mosquitoes or scorpions or whatever it is. Uh, and so that that sales component, the new product, is the driver of our business. That's the majority of it. And that's where we share similarities with the rest of the industry. The, the dirty truth about window coverings is that all companies are pretty much selling the same quality product mm -hmm. for about the same price. We're, we're kind of all within a subtle deviation of each other. And so from my perspective in the window covering industry, it's all about how are you different? We, we call it our, our why, like our value proposition and why someone should pick us if the price of the product is relatively the same. So the, that's where we get into the differentiation and our true focal point isn't like, we, we definitely have to teach franchise owners the widget. We have to teach sure. them about window coverings, how to sell and install them, but we have to teach them how to emphasize the value proposition to the customer of letting Bloom and Blinds do this project for you versus somebody else. And really your three pillars of differentiation are going to be a function of um, the maintenance comp aspect, primarily repair, okay. um, the technology aspect of the business, and because we are a very tech forward company. Um, I mean, we are a technology company that happens to sell window coverings. Um, and we have pieces in place that certainly other window covering companies don't have, but I mean, most home service companies don't have. Um, and I can touch on those. Uh, and then the family story, a real emphasis that you like as a franchise owner or as your employees are in the team, like this is a family business that happens to have the organizational 
uh, sophistication of a large, a much larger organization. Yeah. But we're always telling our story, whether it be their story or my story, we're always building that emotional connection with our franchise, with our, with our customers. And, and like we've kind of touched on, I imagine that, you know, helps you guys draw in the, the type of franchise owners that you're really looking for, right? Because that family story, that family feel really resonates with it. It is. And it, and it's the kind of people who embrace family and really value that they seem to be very attracted to us because it is everything about us. I mean, you it's, it's woven through every, every cell of our body. So and they're going to treat people like family. Well, and that's, that's something that, you know, you guys as the franchisor can kind of intentionally use to cultivate the type of culture that you want. And, you know, another coaching point for me with all of the candidates I work with, because I find this is something people maybe are not thinking as much about as they first start researching franchises is the culture piece. And, and is it going to be a good cultural fit? And and there's more to the culture than just what's that relationship between the franchisor and the franchisee. It's also what is that relationship from franchisee to franchisee? And, you know, what I believe is that if you're in a franchise system and say, maybe it's not a great culture fit. Right. And, and, you know, what I'm really referring to franchisee to franchisee is like, you know, is, is there, a culture of shared learning and, you know, everyone being willing to help each other out and share best practices and, you know, organic peer groups and and things of that nature, you know, happening where everyone's working towards a common goal. And if other franchise owners are winning, that means you're winning as a franchise owner as well. You can be successful, I believe, in a franchise where maybe that culture doesn't really exist or you're not a great fit for it or whatever, but the the benefits of being part of a system where that culture exists and and it's just a good fit all the way around are almost unfathomable like there's so many benefits that that can come with that and so you know it sounds like you guys are really kind of cultivating that family feel and that culture amongst your franchise owners because that's how the business evolved with your family Yeah, we almost did it backwards. So we had a passion for impressing and loving on the customer. We we our our origins, all three of us boys grew up in the hospitality industry. So whether we were bartenders, cooks, or waiters, it was always in that environment. And so when we got into window coverings, we brought that same enthusiasm, that same thing that good restaurant people have to have. And so we began to learn how we needed to act to drive the business, to impress the customers, to win the jobs. And then as we begin to add uh, you know, your, your ground level employees, and then now as a franchise, even up to the executive team, we learned how to act from the customers. And then we've just taken those same principles and rolled them all the way up through the organization. Yeah. So that same passion to impress and the relational drive and managing that relationship um, that it goes from top to bottom. And so we do have a brotherhood where everyone feels like they're rowing in the same direction. You can root for the guy that had a great month without being envious. Yeah, um, exactly. you know, they, they are mixing together and asking for each other for help. Um, and so that, it, but we, it started because we used to be at in the house yeah. and that's how we built our business. And so as we add layers to the business, we just kept that same mentality all the way through and 
to my point earlier, where people act in a franchise new and franchise owners act the way that they're modeled. So now the franchise owners have seen the modeling of how we're supposed to interact with each other. And it's just gone all the way through. And that comes through to the clients too, right? Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, whether it's window coverings or shelving or insulation or whatever, like there's only so many ways to do it, right? So in a franchise like this, your your secret sauce or your your big differentiators, a lot of times are not like, oh, we have superior products to, you know, what company XYZ has. It's the experience that the client gets. And, and that's what's always drawn me personally to owning these types of businesses is that the the bar's not set very high in most cases in terms of like Amen. So <laughs> other true. other home service companies. Like if you own a home, like you've probably been very disappointed by the level of service that you've gotten by some sort of a home service provider, right? So if you yep. can come in and bring that same kind of family fill to to your client, you know, as a Bloom and Blinds franchise owner. And then, you know, as you got, as you've already mentioned, you've got the technology and some of these other things that are, you know, helping the franchise owners, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, what it all really does is it makes a, a better experience for the client. That's how you set yourself apart. It's also how you keep yourself from only being able to compete by being the cheapest option. Yeah. We talk a lot in training and in the onboarding, uh, the ongoing coaching that, that occurs is that managing and building that emotional experience support <clears throat> of working with Bloom and Blinds. If you don't treat it as the expectation is this is going to be an emotional experience, you're missing out on it. Yeah, the technology and the fact that we do repairs, those are accentuators to our differentiation. But the thing that that they remember, the thing that gets them to tell their friends and the thing that brings them back to you is the experience yeah and people will when they have a good experience because you think about like uh, i relate this to i I talk about my businesses just because it's easy for me to kind of use examples but you know custom shelving right custom pull out shelving right we can transform your pantry and and make it you know one of your favorite spots in the house which sounds crazy right like you know you're going to fall in love with your pantry like it, it sounds like a bunch of bs but we see it over and over again, just the amount of joy that our clients get. But it's not just from the product. It's also because we really emphasize making sure that that is a phenomenal experience for the client from A all the way to Z. And when they get that, they talk about it. They tell people about it. You know, We have clients that move and we're the first company they call when they move because they want that experience again and they want those products in their house. Same here, right? I mean, yeah, I... I know people on the outside looking in and are like, you know, it's window coverings. Like how, how exciting can it be? You know, but I, one of the things I was fortunate to learn, I think pretty early on is that you don't necessarily need to love the widget in the business, but like what we've gotten passionate about in our businesses is providing a superior experience than any of our competitors and creating good opportunities for people to make a good living working with us in our businesses. Like those are the two things that, so it doesn't matter, insert any widget you want. Like I'm going to be able to get excited about that business, especially if it's, you know, providing a service to a customer where we've got an opportunity to exceed expectations and, and blow the competition out of the water when it comes to the experience. So it's exactly what, what you guys are doing. Yep. And it, and it goes back to when your question was, who are you guys looking for? 
like somebody who innately understands it either they're already good at it because that's who they are or they understand the value of it and they're committed to developing that skill set or that that perspective of mm-hmm. of interaction again those intangibles are the yeah. parts that separate the good from the great yep yeah i was talking to a guy the other day and he was a, a pretty you know, high net worth guy. Like he'd, he'd had a lot of success. He'd, he'd built a business and we got connected somehow and and we're just kind of talking and, and I could tell he's just kind of kicking tires and, you know, he'd been looking at like some of the fried chicken, you know, franchises out there or whatever. Right. And yeah. so anyways, we, you know, I'm sharing a little bit about myself and he's asking about our businesses. And I say, yeah, you know, one of the franchises we own is, is insulation. And he's like, guy had a bit of an ego and he's like, what the hell is franchisable about insulation? And I said, what the hell's franchisable about fried chicken? (laughs) (laughs) And he just kind of sat there and was like, you know, and it's like, you know, I kind of went into some of what we're talking about now where it's like, look, there's only so many ways to insulate a house. Like we all do it the same way. It's that experience that the client's getting. And, And so anyways, but it was, it was funny. And, Needless to say, he didn't he didn't get it um, or or at least his ego wouldn't allow him to admit that that he got it. But um, that's a story for for another time. A couple of things that you mentioned in terms of differentiators that I want to you know hit on at least a little bit more. Talk to me a little bit more about the repair, because I remember when I first got introduced to Bloom and Blinds, you know, that was something you guys talked to us consultants quite a bit about. And at first I was like, eh. You do repairs. So what? How is that such a big deal? I understand that better now, but you'll explain it far better than I would. Why is offering repairs such a differentiator in this type of business? Okay. So, yeah, to to kind of recap, we do blind repair. We're a mobile service. So in our vans, we have parts that can fix 90% of any window covering product that we come across on the first visit. So we're equipped and trained how to fix them. Window coverings are far more generic than what the public would ever imagine. They may have different stickers on them. They may be different colors, but the stuff inside, the the guts, they're incredibly generic. Mm -hmm. Um, And manufacturers are building them with the cheapest parts they can find to create margin. We tend to put much higher quality parts in them because we're responsible for it after the fact. Mm, Yeah. But even then it's a, um, it's a service that, the window covering industry doesn't offer it's it, it, like you could call a thousand blind companies 998 of them will not fix a blind no matter what i'm sorry you got to buy a new one the two that will fix it is only if they sold it and only if you bring it to them and only if they ship it back to the factory and let the factory fix it and you can have it back a month later <laughs> i'd rather just buy a new set at that point you know that's right. such a hassle it and yes and that's why i re- like the whole warranty side of thing is kind of a if, if anyone's bragging about their warranty that isn't a repair company, they're just selling you hot smoke because the natural reaction is to say, you know what, screw it, I'll just buy something. Yeah. Okay. So we grew up doing repair and blind cleaning at that point. So that's mm-hmm. a piece of the business that can be added down the road by franchise owners is blind cleaning and window washing. So we have those other streams of revenue that aren't, uh, uh, they're not every day yet. We hit a recession, the maintenance side is gonna explode. So that, I'll touch on that. So repair, is a lower ticket item. You're not going to get rich off it. The average ticket for a repair invoice is just under $200. And that's a service call and three blinds being fixed in less than an hour. But 
inside that $200 ticket, it's about $3 worth of parts. So really good margins, like great icing on the cupcake. Mm -hmm. The value of the repair is the, well, I've mentioned recession or, or slower economic times. If money gets tight, people are going to move away from buying big ticket items. They're going to into maintenance of the mm -hmm. items that they already have. Yep. Okay, We're the only company that does repair on a nationwide spectrum. So we tend to pick up all kinds of new customers, increasing our customer base during hard economic times. The Bloom and Blinds business model has been through the 9-11 recession and it's been through the housing bubble. And both times our revenue went from 90% sales to 50% sales. Mm, interesting. Thus 10% repair, 50% repair. Sure. Um, and so we've seen that tightening and how it affects the buying habits of our customers. And it's been a great parachute for us through those two times. Um, so it's a, from a franchise standpoint, from an owner standpoint, it is a great comfort blanket. Okay. Yeah. From, from a marketing standpoint, we have zero competition for this. So when we launch a new franchise, we are typically page one, day one for blind repair terms on Google without having to buy the ads. So our, our ad spend on repair is incredibly low because we rank in organically incredibly high. And it helps the sales side, which is very competitive um, from, a, from a cost per click and a, a, a paid marketing standpoint. When Google sees that you have a whole bunch of keywords that are on page one, it gives your other terms that are in more competitive space, higher relevance and higher authority. Yeah. So even our sales terms in the competitive environment tend to rank higher and faster than if you were a standalone or a non-repair franchise. Um, so our, our cost of acquisition is lower. Um, our conversion rates are higher on the repair side. And it's our way to get inside the house. Yes. Anyone in new home services knows the number one key is getting over that front door threshold. Mm -hmm. So what we find is in the window covering space, we have competitors in every market we go to. And all the sales companies are trying to get it through that front door threshold. They're nearly jammed in at the shoulder trying to get through that front door. We figure out the side doors left un unguarded and wide open. I love it. That's that was the light bulb moment for me, you know, as you kind of walked us through that. Um, and and you know, there's no competition for repair. And, you know, I would imagine, and and you guys probably, you know, track this to some extent, but I would imagine a lot of people you know, may start by looking into repair and then they decide yep. for whatever reason that, you know what, let's just go ahead and get new, right? Or they may repair it today, but now they've already worked with you. They've already had a good experience. And two years later, when they're ready to replace, it's not even a question of who they're going to call. And and then on top of that, like you said, it's just, it's getting indoors. You know, it's, it's having the vans out on the road, right? Where you've got a mobile billboard. It's, being in one neighbor's driveway for an hour and every other neighbor in the neighborhood sees yeah. you, right? I mean, it's just yep. creating that activity creates opportunity. Yep. So we do, we go into the repair. The rule, the rule is if it's repairable, always repair it. Sure. We are not, we are not a bait and switch. We don't use the repair to get in to force the sale. We have found so much more opportunity and growth and money by being willing to do the little job. Because when we are there and we do a $40 repair and it takes us 15 minutes, but suddenly it works. There's so many value points to the customer that they often will give us more work while we're there. Hey, by the way, can you quote these windows? Or when they do bring us back in the future, they're no longer quoting us against anybody else. We've earned the trust by showing them we're not some bloodthirsty vampire. Yeah, and that's huge. 
that it, it, it goes so many different directions for us. So the, the repair has so much value in so many different ways. I could literally get lost in an hour long conversation about why this is beneficial. But the, the core tenet of it is nobody else does it. So it's an immediate value add for the customer. Would you rather buy your blinds from a company that only sells or sells and repairs? Like even if we're selling it, we're still using the repair as part of the value add. Sure. Um, and, and it increases when you add blind cleaning and window washing. Now, now you're truly an all-in-one company. So that it, it helps there. It helps in the marketing. It helps in your parachute in the event that economic times come your way. Um, all of those things are fantastic. And it, it keeps like, even when you're a young business, it puts appointments on the calendar right away. We launch, we launch new franchise owners website a week into training. So it's a two week training cycle. Their site goes live the Monday of week two. By the time they go home, they typically have anywhere from three to 15 appointments waiting for them that next month. I'm sorry, that next week, they're all going to be repairs. Generally, maybe 90% of them are going to be repairs, but it gets you in motion. If you have employees, it gets them busy. If you're the owner, it gets your hands wet. Like all of this and your repetition and your just presence in the home, all those other fringe benefits you talked about. Yeah. It, it drives that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why I wanted you to touch on it because like I said, I didn't quite get it at first. I'm like, so what you do repairs, like big deal. And yeah, there's so many benefits that come from that. Talk to me a little bit about technology and you don't have to go into a ton of detail or, you know, share any, any secrets or anything, but give us a, a couple examples of how, you know, you guys are leveraging technology to, make your franchise owners' lives easier, but also to enhance the experience for your clients. Yep. So we're, we're effectively a paperless company. Everything's cloud-based software platforms. Um, I've got a national in-house call center that is taking all these incoming leads and they're booking the appointments for the franchise owners. Love so it. we have, I have technology that allows for cloud-based scheduling so that you know we hit enter and it's on the owner schedule or the technician schedule. Um, when we're driving to a customer's house, we're sending them a notification so that they can watch us drive to the house like an Uber. Mm-hmm. So they, they get a, they get a picture, they get a bio, and then they get a live tracker and how long until we're at the house. Like Uber has that Domino's has that and Bloom and blinds has that. Right. Like, and not a lot of home service companies have it. If, if I mean many at all, um, when we're in the house, we're working on iPads, not notepads. We're using lasers that Bluetooth the measurements into our iPad, not a steel tape measure. Um, we're inputting all the details and measurements into a quoting software that's cloud-based on our iPad. So the moment I input the last measurement, 10 seconds later, I have a quote to present to the customer. That's well-organized, emailable, editable, um, and it gives us the opportunities in the house because we don't have to go back to the office and figure it out on a spreadsheet. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, being able to, to deliver that, you know, quote or estimate in the house is huge because it it is a better experience for the client, right? I mean, any homeowner could tell you probably numerous examples of where someone came out, looked at it and they either had the homeowner had to follow up to get a quote or they just never got one or it took like two weeks, right? That's, like you said, the bar is very low for us. Right. Exactly. But that's huge, right? And, and I mean, you guys are leveraging technology in the way that consumers have become accustomed to consuming 
products and services, right? You talked about Domino's and Uber. Uh, you guys are just taking that and applying it to to this business, which is going to wow and exceed most of your customers' expectations because most of these types of businesses just haven't gotten there with, with their technology yet. So I, I love hearing those types of examples. And the whole time, you know, if you've got a customer that's maybe shopping a couple of different companies, right? I mean, everything, yep. every example you just mentioned from the call center, right? Someone picks up the first time. They don't have to leave a message or call multiple times to, you know, the scheduling, the notifications, the someone's on the way. You're working on a tablet versus handwriting something out. You're using lasers to measure. Like, not only is that making your franchise owners and their team's lives easier and more efficient, but you're yep. just demonstrating step after step to the client that we're professional, we're reputable, we're reliable. And, you know, chances are whoever else is coming in is is not doing the vast majority of those things, right? So they show up totally. whenever they show up, you know, they they write out some, you know, scribble out a price on on the back of a, you know, piece of paper or something like that. And and so it's just amplifying to the client, like, hey, we're we're the obvious choice here. And keep in mind, the product and the price is relatively the same. Right. So even if it's slightly more, it's it's probably a no-brainer in in most cases. Yeah. And even then, we're not so I like to use retail as a guy as a uh, an articulation of where we land in the space. Okay. Like we're not the we're not Walmart. Not trying to be Walmart. Don't want that perception, don't want that customer experience. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not Nordstrom's. Okay. Right. Yep. They 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 have their own business model and their own clientele. We are target. Okay. Everyone knows there's a difference, but it's it's still not Nordstrom's. It's not even close. It's closer to the Walmart than it is Nordstrom's. But the carts roll smooth. The place is well lit. It's clean. It's a better buying experience, but you know you're paying 10 cents more for bread. Mm -hmm. You just know you are. But because you have the means, it's more fun to be there. So I, I, we have zero interest in being the Nordstrom's, but I absolutely will be the target. And that's our clientele. And that's who we that that's who we love servicing and relate with the best. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. I think people people get that. If you guys are Target, I got to keep my wife away though because every time she goes into Target, <laughs> it's like I just got to grab Amen. one thing. And next thing you know, it's like so you got like six hundred dollars worth of stuff at Target, huh? Um, yeah, <laughs> I got a whole bunch of franchise owners who on Saturdays when they're not running appointments because we're generally Monday through Friday. Yeah, they will literally go take their van, park it in a Target parking lot in the morning. Hell and yeah. pick it up at night because those are our customers. Absolutely. That's brilliant. I love it. I yeah. love it. So um, talk to me a little bit about infrastructure. You know, we talked a little bit about the different type of ownership models. So, you know, assuming someone's just starting out more of that kind of owner operator in the beginning, like what does the infrastructure look like? What do they need to actually get started operating the business? So if you're going as simple as, or if you're taking the simplest approach, which is would be the owner operator approach, um, it's generally going to be home-based business. You you really don't really move this into a commercial space until it gets too big for your house, or you start off with dedicated employees and you know you need that space because you don't want employees living in your house. Sure, right? exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so you get your home-based business and in that you need room for storage. You probably need at least one bay of your garage, if not a spare bedroom, because we're going to sell products and they need to sit there for a couple of days until they get installed. Could you get so, a storage unit if you didn't want to use your garage you, or? You definitely can, though you're now moving the product. So yeah, uh, true. 
there, there's some inefficiency in it, but it is totally doable. And some of our owners do it. Yes. Uh, or you live in a condo, you know, that's, a, that's right. That's you a don't thing. have a garage or whatever, but yep. product is delivered to, to you. your home in the case that you don't have a, a commercial location. Correct. Okay. Um, and, and then you have a full-size cargo van that's loaded with bloom and blind. So that's another thing that we have to watch out for sometimes is the HOAs. Um, so yeah. we have to be careful and be mindful of lettered vehicles. And if not, then again, guys are back in their storage unit, parking their van in the lot or the, the mm -hmm. yard and things like that. Um, those are pieces that have to be navigated individually. Um, when a franchise owner starts up, we have a setup package that's part of the franchising expense. And we are literally hand selecting, we've already selected all the tools, the repair parts, the samples, um, as much of this as possible is automated for the franchise owner. So they don't have to figure out what they need or what they, like we've already kitted it. It's literally over there waiting to be shipped. That piece of so, it is turnkey. 100%. Um, in addition to that, the marketing is turnkey as well. So we've partnered with Scorpion to do all of our digital mm -hmm. marketing, to build out the website, the SEO. And so franchise owners are involved in the community building of their business and reputation. They're involved in requesting reviews and then they're involved in creating a budget for paid marketing and that's it. Yeah. But they're not figuring out keywords. They're not interviewing <laughs> SEO companies. They're not doing any of these things where they can make critical mistakes. But I'm glad it's you pointed automated. that out. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause I get, you know, I talked to a lot of people and they're like, Wes, I don't, I don't know anything about marketing. And I'm like, you don't need to like, if, if it's a good franchisor, like they're going to have, all of that kind of set up and, and figured out like what you need to learn is how to, you know, make the decisions with your budget. And and once you've got some time under your belt, learn how to read the reports so you can make informed decisions with, Hey, do we want to keep the same marketing mix or do we want to change it up or, or whatever? So you need to understand the analytics, you know, to an extent, but like, I couldn't tell you how to, how to set up a pay-per-click campaign, you know, but yeah. Well, and those are things that, like those are industry experts who do that well. You can't yeah. expect somebody buying a window covering franchise to get good at that right. at, at, or to get great at that. Yeah. Um, the other pieces of infrastructure on the business side, like we have a franchise wide bookkeeper. So everyone's right. using the same bookkeeping system. It feeds into a software that dashboards your P&L and your KPIs. Love it. So, and then we have two years of ongoing coaching that are founders, my other two brothers. The youngest brother, Kevin, takes the first year. The sec the middle brother takes the second year. So now your founders are leading you through the next two years, coaching you first off on profitable. Like we, the goal number one, get you profitable. Yep. Uh, all your data and all your analytics feed into this dashboard. We coach to it. Not only does it tell you where you sit versus our benchmarks, it also tells you where you sit within the company. So within others, so that competitive juice kind of flows a little bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then um, then it's a function once you've once you're profitable. Okay, now we need to go chase down your goals. Whatever you have stated your goals are, let's write a path, let's or let's use the formula and the recipe to go step by step, month by month, walking with you to make sure you're hitting those goals. So there the, the support structure of either automation or pre-planned or or literally guiding you down the yellow brick road holding your hand, walking in front of you, holding your, your hand, it's all been built out. And that's the last three years where we really started to understand what it means to be a franchisor. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you get it dialed in. Right. I mean, that's like, 
I, I love hearing that, you, you know, with the dashboards and and kind of the rankings. But, you know, you hear something like, hey, we have a company wide bookkeeper. And, and some people are like, you know, why, why do I have why do, why do they have to choose the bookkeeper and why do I have to submit my financials? So you can establish these benchmarks. And that's invaluable as a franchise owner to be able to see, all right, you know, here's the KPIs we look at in this business and here's how I stack up. Right. You may think you're doing yeah. pretty well in one category. And then you look at the rankings and you're like, well, dang, I'm, I'm below average. Like I've got room to get better here. Right. And then on top of that, you can see who's crushing it in that particular category, you know, and then you, you know what franchise owners to reach out to and say, Hey, what, what are you doing different than me? Absolutely. Right? And that's where you get that shared learning and, you know, people helping uh, each other build their businesses. So like, I, I absolutely love hearing that type of stuff. I would assume also you guys have relationships with manufacturers, distributors, like the whole supply chain piece. Oh, you know, yeah. That's that's kind of a new franchisee is going to walk into to those relationships already kind of set up, I would assume. Yep. We've yeah, we've used our buying power to create the leverage. They have their own account with those manufacturers or they're they're buying vans through the dealership. But I've helped negotiate yeah. what to expect from the dealership. So yeah. our revenue source is the royalty. Any yep. vendor that we connect them with, they have a direct relationship and a direct account with them, but it's under our umbrella. So we've been able to provide those those perks and benefits of the larger buying group. And guys, but, listening, so I, I just that's that's one of the biggest ways a franchisor in this type of business, in my opinion, can add long term value for their franchisees is by leveraging the size and the buying power to to get better pricing. For, for franchisees it's huge yep and and i mean pricing is important but the expectation of support or the prioritize pri prioritization of support really goes a long way because usually when you need those entities it's because you're in a spot where you need to know something you need the help you need mm -hmm. you need a response relatively quickly yeah. and when you're if you're carrying a bloom and blinds logo on your chest you're getting a different response rate than you know wilma's interiors yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. That's, that's such a good point and, and very, very true. Um, yeah. So, so much good stuff there that, that you shared with us. And, and, you know, from my perspective, you guys have it dialed in, you know, you're, you're at a great point where, you know, obviously such a solid foundation, but, you know, at this kind of exciting point where you're starting to get some big time momentum and, and uh, the sky's the limit. So, you know, in, in kind of closing this out, um, I guess number one is, you know, is there anything we haven't touched on that, that you'd like the audience to hear or to know about blooming blinds? Hmm. I, I often might. So as much as I love being a self promoter, um, a question like that in, in someone who's listening to this, and maybe a candidate, um, I would say that running your own business is a fantastic thing. It's, it's a, it's an opportunity. It's exciting. Um, it's also scary as hell and full of challenges, <laughs> yep. you know, like to think that starting a business is going to eliminate your problems. It just are different problems. Yeah. But the upside, the, the upside potential is so great. The biggest thing that I get concerned about when anyone's exploring a franchise is not getting swept, swept up in the excitement of the moment. I call it momentary ambition. Mm. Um, there's this swell as you begin to look, you get kind of, you kind of feel the surge of the desire to do it. But I think people really need to make sure that they are six months ago or a year ago before you started this, are you, that's who you are. 
or that's who you you know are likely to be once the dust settles off the excitement of a new business. So I think people need to be really introspective about who they are, their passion for a customer experience. And if you're looking at a franchise, an appreciation for systems and processes versus looking at them as personal limiters or a violation of your personal yeah. freedoms. Yes. That's a major, in, a, in not only business, but franchise specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you come out of that, that exploration and you say, you know what, I am a guy who moves when nobody's watching and I am a guy who pushes myself or I, I'm a person who likes to chase and likes to accomplish and likes to go after things that no one else can do. Yeah, great. You're on the right path. But if you're someone who isn't of those things or some version of those things, be careful because it's a lot of money. It's a chapter of your life. It can be very disruptive if it goes wrong. But usually what goes wrong is not the business model. Yes. It's the wrong person in the business model or the wrong person just simply in business. And I hate to see people go down that, that, that path and hurt themselves and hurt the brand as well. Yeah. So I appreciate the opportunity to brag about Bloom and Blinds or talk about us more. But honestly, my heart is for the person exploring this to be honest with themselves, to be honest with us, so that when we find a great fit, we can feel it, but then also that you don't cause yourself any harm. Yeah. That's my that's my moment to share something. Uh such good advice. And and I appreciate you, you know, using that last question to to share that advice because I think it's advice anyone considering business ownership, you know, needs to hear and needs to take seriously, right? And and do some self-reflecting and and because there's there's so many challenges that come with business ownership. And and like you said, it's probably different in a lot of ways than the challenges you have as as an employee. But um you know, you need grit, right? To to get yeah. through it and make it work. And yeah. and if you're not really willing to commit to that, then, you know, it's better to figure that out before you make a financial commitment and, and, you know, spend a bunch of your time doing it. So really good advice. Um, Kelsey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was a lot of fun and, and I love what you guys have built at Bloom and Blinds. I'm a huge fan and, um, you know, you guys keep doing what you're doing and, uh, really appreciate you making time to drop in here on the path to freedom podcast. We'll put links in the show notes for, consumer website franchise opportunity website i know kelsey's on on linkedin um so i'm sure he'd be happy to connect with you there if you want to talk to him if you want to learn more about bloom and blinds reach out to me uh would be more than happy to uh get you connected with the right person over there but kelsey thank you man really appreciate it truly a pleasure west thanks That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.